Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Bruce McDonald is an award-winning Canadian filmmaker and director based in Toronto, and Nick Crane is an acclaimed graphic artist who calls Guelph, Ontario, home. McDonald's fifth film was an adaptation of Michael Turner's novel, Hardcore Logo, and chronicled a first-wave punk rock band's disastrous reunion tour across Canada. The influential 1996 film was an underground hit. Even Quentin Tarantino became smitten with it, securing its U.S. distribution rights. The next year, Crane's graphic novel adaptation of McDonald's film was published, and to commemorate its 20th anniversary, House of Anansi has issued an expanded edition of Crane's book, and the occasion is being marked with launch events and screenings of the film. I met with Bruce and Nick at Bruce's Toronto office recently, and we discussed how they first met some 25 years ago, the work of artist Chester Brown and other underground comic artists, making road movies and graphic novels. Canadian content and hockey, the weird but cool resonance of hardcore logo 20 years later, the rise of mockumentaries in a world obsessed with fake news, the Bucky Hate song Never Done, and much, much more. Sponsored by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, this is Bruce McDonald and Nick Crane on the 319th episode of Creative Control with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for being on this show. Uh, who are you? Uh, my name is Nick Crane. I'm a graphic novelist artist from Guelph, Ontario. Nick, it's nice to have you on the show finally. Thank you so much. And you, sir? My name is Bruce McDonald. I'm a filmmaker, and uh, I'm happy to be here. It's nice to have you on yeah, the show, Bruce. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I don't want to gush, per se, but I mean, I've been watching your films for like since I was a little kid. Well, Feels that's like awesome. Yeah. 20 years ago, I used to watch them. I used to have the Cambridge Public Library used to have all your your films wow. on tape, and wow. I, would, I would take them out, and I'd bring Amazing. them home, and I think, we, I think we did some school projects on them in high wow. school and university wow. as well. I don't mean it. Yeah. You, you must get this all the time, right? No, not all the time. Just keep to keep 
keep saying it. <laughs> good. I like it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's remarkable. And, and uh, this, uh, this project that we're going to talk about today made an impression on me as well. So I guess to begin, actually to begin, where are we? What is this space? Where, where are we, Bruce? Can you talk about that? Uh, we are uh, in an office on Queen Street West in Toronto. And uh, it's the... Uh, the headquarters of the Visual Mechanics Union, local 999. Oh, okay. And uh, upstairs is a company called Revolver, and they make rock videos and uh, commercials. And uh, downstairs is a place called the Velvet Underground, which is a club for bands. And uh, this is my headquarters. This is where we hatch up uh, new projects. And I work with a fellow who will be along shortly, Patrick Whistler. He's a very talented screenwriter. And... Uh, kind of partnering crime and from this little humble abode we plan world domination <laughs> that's great that's amazing <laughs> and nick uh, you live in guelph you work do you work primarily at your home i work uh, yeah i've got a, a an office in my house and uh, share a wall with my son's bedroom next door and so i can work under any conditions in other words <laughs> yeah and is that okay? Do you like working from home? You're an independent guy? I completely love it. Yeah, I lo- it's there's no commute. I can often the family will go to bed and I will go back to work and it'll be 2 a.m. and there's no there's no uh to and fro, you know. It's you you can work anywhere anytime. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you and you are you like a do you consider yourself an independent freelance worker as a film director how does that work do you work for a company no i have i have a company of you know and then i i whore myself out on occasion <laughs> as a director for hire gun for hire right but uh yeah just generally i've always been an independent sort of it's how we came up with that little gang of other filmmakers and like-minded people in the in the city and uh you know, you're independent, but the community is essential to being independent. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, you did so. You have two guys here with an independent spirit. Sometimes that can be great. Sometimes that can lead to you know tension because they both, yeah, yeah. you know, they both oh, yeah. think they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. uh, how do you two get along in terms of collaboration? Because you've done how many projects have you actually worked on together? Well, I, I've adapted two, two of Bruce's yeah. films into graphic novels. I'm trying to convince him to do more, but he's so busy now. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, to address what you're saying, we used to get together a bunch of illustrators would get together for a drink and draw at a pub. And sometimes it was great and sometimes it was really weird because you got a lot of guys who really don't leave the closet. They just sort of work by themselves mm. quietly and then getting them together to socialize, you know, your social skills are kind of subpar, right? It's good for them, though. It is very good for it's them. Good to get out. You gotta get down again. Get the zoo animals out. Yeah. But Bruce, on the other hand, is uh, very, very free and very uh, loose, and is he? I th- I'm gonna speak. Maybe I'm not correct, but it. You kind of just throw stimulation out there and see what comes back. You're not. Yeah. Someone who's like, okay, this is the, this is my vision. I want it to be like yeah. this, and, uh, and I'm gonna yeah. cut this, and you know, it's yeah. it's a very free thing. Yeah. That it's like, it's not improvised necessarily, but you want to you let people create. It's all improvised. It is it's it? all. Is it really? It's all f- one freestyle jazz odyssey. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, back to the sort of Nick and I collaborating. I mean, the fact that we both work in different mediums is very complementary as opposed to competitive. You know, it's not right. like we're both trying to direct the same shot in a movie, or I'm trying to get him to uh, draw things in a certain way or tell a story in a certain way. So it's. 
it's really enjoyable in that way because we're both making movies in different ways or we're telling stories in different ways by using some different tools right. but they both are very complementary um, so it's fun for me I think it's on both sides you get it you kind of see oh that's how they do it in yeah. that yeah. in that medium and <clears throat> so that's super fun when those when those mediums actually can collide and uh, shimmer off each other and then uh, uh what was it? What, and then I just so lost the thread. When you were working on Tracy Fragments, yeah, that felt to me as though you're kind of experimenting with comics. Oh yeah, I mean, comics were a huge uh, influence yeah, on that movie. You've got a, it's a it's a time based medium, but you've mm -hmm. got moments on on a plane that you're experiencing simultaneously. Yeah. Like One moment affects yeah. the other. Yeah, the moment it's introduced, it changes the content of the first yeah. image, etc. And I, I, I looked at that and went, whoa, this is different. This is, that felt kind of like it was, because, you know, comics is like paper cinema, but that was like cinema, cinema, comics. I don't know. Yeah, we were trying to get back to graphic novels and, and comics because often we'd be finding ourselves walking back to the Beguiling or the one of the stores around town just to kind of look at uh, page layouts, look at framing, look at uh, sequences and how they were... Uh, executed through time so it was, it was very inspiring and I mean, you can't quite match it what graphic novels do but in that process that particular film which is a kind of uh, entire movie all told in sort of split screens um, it was really uh, it was a great adventure and talk think, about planning I think it's Cubist that film yeah it's I keep a Cubist thinking film. it's a Cubist film sort of Jimi Hendrix and Cubism come together that's how I, I would what? Can I use that as a quote on the re-release yeah. poster? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> when, you, when you say it was a cubist film, can you expand upon that? Uh, cubism is about trying to see three sides of an object simultaneously, or m multiple sides of an object. So you're seeing, uh, you'll see Tracy in a moment, and then you'll see Tracy in a moment either slightly before that moment or slightly after from a different angle. Maybe it's describing the same scene, but it's a different take. And you're seeing this sliver uh, vision of, of the subject in the same sort of kaleidoscopic way, right? Mm. So Tracy Fragments did that for me. And so that's, that's why it feels like cubism. So, but the two, the two collaborations that we were referring to earlier are Dance Me Outside and mm -hmm. Hardcore Logo, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the things you worked on. Mm -hmm. and, and so you said something interesting there about how while you were making films, you would go to comic book stores and you would start to look at graphic novels and that might have inspired you as a filmmaker so i'm trying to figure out because nick did adaptations of your mm -hmm. films right i'm trying to figure out the chronology of <laughs> which came first like obviously the films came first mm -hmm. and then you adapted them into the graphic novels but you you're you're saying graphic novels generally have been a huge inspiration to you as a filmmaker yeah generally and and tracy in particular because it's of its nature that nick was talking about being a kind of multi-framed and sort of cubist approach uh and nick's adaptations have been done after we've shot the movie and and have it in the editing room or and some cases during or during the process well, but often lately i've been thinking gosh i've totally blown it i've got to get nick to get going when the script is still in the cooker because you know the new uh the new release of hardcore logo just came out and i was looking at it last week and admiring uh you know, just as a great piece of art and great storytelling. And what was nice about Nick's adaptation of that is that he uh, 
you know, you're because it's a new medium, you're forced to do things. You, comp- you have to compress things. You have to maybe uh, change and alter the narrative slightly um, to make it fit into that medium. And looking at certain sequences, I was like, oh my God, this is like brilliant. I could... If this was done before the movie, I could have totally ripped off Nick and put it in the movie, and I could have been the genius. So, so genius. I'm very no, 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 no. G- change a few letters. It's more like generous. Okay, right, sure. Generous. You're being very generous. Uh, no, but it's it's a very it's it's a, it really has made me stop and think. Well, you know, because traditionally films are explored through storyboards. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask in, about in, that in the yeah. early going. Yeah, uh, and storyboards are you know. I guess the child of a good graphic novel or is that is that a practice you employ storyboarding? No, I'm terrible. Uh, I don't. I've rarely had time to actually draw the storyboards. People have this sort of impression that oh yeah, you've kind of sit around for weeks and draw the movie and then you go and make it but usually it's such a scramble wasn't that what Hitchcock did that uh well he was a he came from art department right he drew the entire film and then hired a screenwriter to generate dialogue no no I think that's uh totally false no yeah I think he would draw he would draw being an art department guy he would draw the sets and draw the things and you know, I, I, f- I have a feeling legends get built, uh, uh, you know, bigger than perhaps they are. And, Certainly uh, about Hitchcock, yeah. You know, and, uh, but yes, you know, he was working in the studio system. There was a very, there was a very ordered way of doing things back then. There was tons of money and there was tons of mm-hmm. support. So, yeah, I think generally storyboards were essential because they built all the sets for the most part. They didn't go and find them, whereas we generally as independent filmmakers here we don't build sets we go and we find our locations and those locations tell us kind of what the shots are back in hitchcock's day they would go you know i'd love a shot like this and they would build literally build that shot they would build that room not in every case but in a lot of cases studio was very very important to the filmmaking process would you ever hire someone like say nick to storyboard a script oh yeah though? oh yeah absolutely yeah i mean we're just you know, cooking some things now, and I'm just at that point where, and whether you know whether you end up using the storyboards or not doesn't even matter because what the storyboards give you is a sense of detail and a sense of uh, great exploration. Whether it's about light or it's about wardrobe or it's about framing or it's about lenses or about sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, independent films don't have the budget to even support that. If it's the director, it's up to the director. They they do it themselves, and generally directors can't draw. So can you draw? No. So a little bit? No. Not at all. I can draw stick people, and I can kind of, I can, I can have people look left or right, and that's about it. That's the extent. But I still do it. I still sketch out, and I find it fun, and I find it enjoyable. But I do think uh, it's a really necessary—not a necessary, but it's a really great process. If, if. Um, you can carve out that time to do that prep work on your own with your stick people or with a talented um, graphic artist. I'm talking to a few people that I meet on sets and in cafes that are like, oh, I didn't know you drew. I didn't know you thing. So I'm kind of got a few of the people around town now that I'm trying to uh, rope into sort of, and I'm quite, I've undecided whether I should sort of just say, just start drawing the graphic novel or start, storyboarding because i generally don't use storyboards or story map i would call it a story map. story map because you're not necessarily trying to create mechanics for drama Sh- shooting yeah more mechanics for what can contribute to the central story how can i illustrate right right the central story? so that's maybe good advice to sort mm-hmm. of not worry about the 
you know it's not a final performance it's a conversation yeah it's right? a kind of a, con a story conversation yeah. about well how could the sequence go how might it be mm -hmm. whether it's how i would do it or somebody else right. would do it and generally it would be i'd have some ideas but it's also just as interesting for the person who you throw it out there and and uh maybe that's what getting back to that idea you had about improvisation or having it all in your head it's yeah. like you put it out there and you see what comes back well you, you mentioned that you've been meeting people in cafes and and discovering that they can draw a little bit yeah. and maybe you're going to pull them into a project so i'm curious about this union between you between you and nick bruce and nick i mean this is uh going back a how many years now? How, when did you two meet? How did this happen? About, about 150 years ago, I met Nick. Yeah. We, uh, we're, we're special. Um, we shouldn't be, probably tell the secret of how we got to this planet. But uh, anyway, we've been here for a long, long time doing cool-ass shit. And, um, but yeah, I can't, we, we probably met... I don't the, remember. It was at the bookshelf. Back the bookshelf, I think. Peter yeah. Henderson. Yeah. In Guelph. Yeah. 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 Bruce came to town to screen Highway 61. And then hung out afterwards. And Peter Henderson is the cinema manager there. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Featured in, in Nick's book. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Former roadie, rock and roll roadie, yeah. that guy. Yeah, yeah. I should say, so one of the things I enjoyed about reading the adaptation, the, 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 the anniversary edition or whatever, is that, is that right? Am I calling it? Is that, yeah, yeah. What anniversary is it again? 20th anniversary edition. 20th anniversary edition, that's right. Uh, is that uh, Nick uh, took a bunch of people that we know, mutual friends, and made them kind of background characters in the in the book. It was quite fun for oh, me to cool. see all these old friends. Like, you know, sure. my friends are all yeah. in the book. It's amazing. Well, yeah. it, Turner's whole approach was collage, right? So I tried to say, how can I address his sense of collage in a visual way, in this comic book way? And so I started using people. And my my funniest bit... For me personally, is that Jeff Bird is in it, and he is one of the few people in the book who's actually an incredibly uh, employed musician. But in the book, he's like a driver of the bus and says, "I've never heard of this man in my whole life." But he plays with the Junkies, right? He's he's an incredible musician. Yeah. So Jeff Bird plays in the Cowboy Junkies, and yeah. back to Highway 61. So Bruce yeah. Bruce comes to to Guelph to to, to launch uh, Highway 61, and, and Peter Henderson says. This is this is uh, Bruce McDonald, and I make a connection and say, I've got comics. I'm going to mail them to you. And they were these weird black and white road comics called the Cheeseheads. Right, right. And That's we right, stayed yeah. in touch. And then you were into you were optioning Yummy Fur at the time, so that was sort of yeah, it's still on the table here, around yes. in the background. <laughs> what is Yummy Fur? It's uh, Chester Brown's probably the uh, greatest well, comic ever made. Yeah. The greatest comic ever made? Yes. And it's just sitting languishing on your no, desk? No, no I'm, I'm, uh, Chester and I have been, have been uh, cooking it. It's a, it's, it's a very unique and particular uh, story that both uh, brings people great joy and excitement, but also fills them with great fear and uh, trepidation. A lot of pain. Yeah. Are you going to do anything with the Louis Riel thing? Um, Chester, Chester we wrote... We were talking about it as an animated thing, but... Uh, Chester had an obligation to a fellow that was going to do a stage adaptation of it. Hmm. So we're like, all right, well, just let us know when that's done, and then we can get back to the animated, just, uh, you know, Louis Riel. So, so just to back up just a moment, uh, how did you, you just randomly so told him you had comic books? That's No, the, I got some. I, I got the Peter cheese heads, and I... And he said, this guy's yeah. an illustrator. He's a, car a car comic book oh, artist guy from Guelph, and... and uh, 
And I was a big fan of comics because I had been introduced really to the world of comics, more the underground comics, through a film called Comic Book Confidential oh, yeah, you edited that, that was directed by a oh, fabulous man. guy named Ron Mann, which was about the history of American underground comics. And up till that point, as any suburban kid, uh, there my exposure was just you know DC Comics and a little bit of Marvel. Even Marvel was kind of crazy for me, yeah. right? It was like DC and... And, you know, that sort of thing. So this was a revelation to kind of, for me, of like, oh my God, this is incredible. So it got me very excited about storytelling and comics and independent spirit and all that sort of stuff. Do you, do you have a sense of what drew each of you to independent or subversive or underground culture? Because I'm always curious about that switch in us that compels us to... Rejection. Is it the rejection? Oh yeah, for sure, rejection. See, Chester is a great example. Mm-hmm. Chester Brown began his career wanting to work for Marvel Comics. And hmm. if you dig through his archive, he'll show you his rejected samples. Can you imagine the guy who did Ed the Happy Clown <laughs> trying to draw like straight Marvel superhero yeah. comics? It's terrible. It's yeah. weird, but it's not very good at all. Like he didn't, he had not discovered his, the voice that we all know, right? So rejection makes. Failure and rejection is the best, I think, for any artist. Uh, and uh, I've been rejected as, as much as the next guy. So, um, But that's, that's, I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm also trying to say that um, the spirit of just doing it yourself. I guess there was a guy in Guelph named uh, John McLeod, and he was self-publishing when I was a kid and working in a comic book store. And when I discovered his work... And he was just making it with a little photocopier and selling them for 50 cents. And he had a nice line, you know. He, he had a great sense of storytelling. He borrowed a lot from the Hernandez brothers and Love and Rockets and so on. But it was great work. And I was a kid in a comic book store, and it looked nothing like Marvel or DC or any of this stuff. Cause, and he was making almost no money. I thought, he's doing it right here. Well, I can do that. Why can't I do that? So this spirit of independence and why can't I do that is uh, what... I guess propels a lot of people to to dive in. Eventually, I did start publishing comic books in 1990. We had five titles. One of them was my own, and then an anthology and uh, a guy from New Zealand. We did. We did Jay Stevens's uh, Sin, which was a humor book, and we did uh, Carol Swain from Britain. And these are heavy cats over there that we brought over to North America. Of course, we didn't have any financial sense, so it didn't sustain itself. But anyway, that's a long answer to. Rejection, yes, and independent spirit. And I, I would say, you know, I've heard you say in interviews in the past that you make the film you can make, so you get your buddies together and you say, well, what can we do? And here's what I got, and here's what I got. What do you got? Mm-hmm. And then you put your energy together. It's not, there's no map. Yeah, I'm not totally sure where the impulse comes from, but it is like there's a great quote from the General George... Patton, the American general from World War II, who... I'm familiar with Patton. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, anyway, so he was asked once about warfare or battles or something, and he says, well, you never really go to war with what you want. Right. You go to war with what you've got, or you lose your country. Right. So, you know, whether what you've got is a couple of sticks and a hammer against, you know, whatever force... Yeah, no, I... you, you, You don't really have any choice. So, for the independent... Uh, that is often the choice of like whether to should I stay or should I go should I make it or should I you know surrender to the usual way of making it which may be never mm-hmm. or maybe 
just a bad copy of something that is you know, already very common ground. Uh, you know, so I'm not quite sure where the impulse comes from, but in terms of the means of production, yeah, you use what you've got and you use your community. It's interesting you both took a kind of means of production uh, take on my question because where I was coming from on some level was the fact that you were talking about DC and Marvel comics being the comics you were exposed to. And then when you started to discover maybe people like Nick or, or independent comics, it's kind of like a whole new world has emerged, isn't it? You're kind of been shown one thing Mm -hmm. and it's readily available and sort of, you know, in the case of DC or Marvel, you could get those things at a grocery store, you know, on your way out. Whereas the things that Nick might've handed to you, you'd, there's a uniqueness to it. There's a yeah, rarity like secrets, to it. Secrets, secrets yeah. uh, uh, from the from the treasure chest. You know that and, we're and, like, wow. And I find that when you have those moments, it sort of triggers something in you of like, oh, there's actually a whole other planet on this planet that I should yeah, right. be searching for. Well, there's, two, there's two narratives. There's the one that we all sort of politely participate in, and then there's the subtext. And you look at the first time you start reading Robert Crumb, you're like, holy shit, I'm so offended. But yet, it's all true. What he's saying is true, but I'm so offended. And it, it, and it makes you realize that th- there's a place, like I guess uh, Seth and uh, these, these guys started to explore autobiographical work, I think, as a result of Crumb, I would say. But so that's, what am I getting at? The surface story is the Marvel and the DC, the shiny penny, which is, I don't want to even go into that, but it, but yeah, you're right. So you, when you discover Fugazi and you're like, holy shit, I didn't know people could do this. Why not? And then it gives you permission to break and start and make your own. Yeah. And I, and I can gather that that's something that we've talked about on a comic level, but did you have that on a film level for you, Bruce? Like, was there... A point where, because you said rejection, and the subtext of that is, I'm not going to be successful necessarily on a on a grand scale, and I can accept that because I'm not motivated necessarily by that kind of success. I'm motivated by my what I'm obsessed with, but what I'm passionate not, about. It's not even that you knocked on the door and said, "Can I, can I, can I have some?" And you're rejected. Sometimes you just are self-rejected. You say, "Yeah, I can't participate in that. That's not. I don't relate to the mall." I don't relate to them all. So there's got to be another way. Yeah, exactly. So like Ron Mann's making Confidential and you're like, holy shit, this is a whole other way of being. It gives you permission to sort of explore your own voice, I guess. So not literally I got rejected by Marvel, which I did. Did you actually get rejected by Marvel? I did get rejected by Marvel, but then I actually got hired by Marvel later in life too. Anyway. Uh, but 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 I want to know. You're talking about origins and so on. I want to know um, your first film. I think your maybe your first film shot on film was mm. the bedroom one, mm. where you film your parents sleeping. And is that the same one where you tried to get into the White House? Mm-hmm. And what what were you thinking? What was that about? Is that an example of <clears throat> making a film you can make? With what you have, or yeah, I mean, let's see, uh, that was about, I think, just sort of joining the dots somehow. This was a documentary about people giving me tours of their bedrooms, and my girlfriend and my parents, and different things. And I got it in my head at some point to, because I just, you know, that that I should f- 
I should try to film President Reagan and his lovely wife Nancy showing me their bedroom in the White House. <laughs> or just the no, no, tour just, the... just just okay. just because they, they weren't asleep. We weren't asleep. They were just kind of walking around. Because oh. and it had all these sub themes of performance and acting and what the camera does when you turn on the camera and how people act in front of a camera. And Ronald Reagan was a former actor, and I just thought so. Uh, yeah, it's it was a very. Uh, I mean, at that stage, you know, I was like early on, and I think, you know, we're all trying to make our mark. Yeah. So I felt a little bit like uh, Lee Harvey Oswald going to Washington, or uh, <laughs> interesting, you know, Hinckley or whatever his name was. You but, really, uh, you felt like a presidential assassin. A little bit, yes, <laughs> because you know, you go with the impulse that shortcut to fame is just like blowing somebody's head off, right? Right. Well, if you, you throw the brick, the person who throws the brick, the most famous person is the one who's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So it's a it's it's a weird uh, I'm, I'm, psychotic. Uh, is this you know. fictional? Did you actually try to breach the White House oh, yeah. bedroom? Oh, yeah. No, no, you didn't try and breach. You tried to get permission. Yeah, but there I have a letter, a letter from the White House. I have uh, shots you, in front no. of the White House, and I'm on TV <laughs> in Washington. You went there. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was 23, I think. And, and so I, I presume the answer was no, but what was the actual tone of the response? It was sort of quiet bemusement. Uh, I have the letter framed somewhere. I usually have it hanging up on the wall, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very entertaining. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> so again, there's something... But that, that impulse of yeah. like, you know, you back to the artistic impulse or, you know, what, fires us up this idea of rejection or this idea of thing i think one of the combinations i could throw into this stew would be you know a uh, great ego and incredible insecurity you know oh, yeah for sure man those girls. two you gotta get girls those two yeah 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 <laughs> <That'll> g- <laughs> yeah well you never know some girls you know no that's whenever whenever sandy will she'll she'll point out a guy she's gonna kill me i say this She'll point out a guy in town, and he's like this big, beefy hockey player. She says, "Oh yeah, I remember. I used to date that guy." I'm like, "Yeah, but can he can he do a cartoon? Yeah, yeah, can yeah. He, can he cartoon? Yeah, because yeah. he's like handsome, like yeah. big. Uh, what do you call Icelandic sculpture yeah. man? I'm like, yeah. oh, you're, yeah. you're a good looking man, Nick. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah. I, I interrupted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were saying ego, ego, insecurity, making your mark. I think that's all there. It's all. I mean, these are all things that I think of when I think of independent culture yeah. as well. Well, I'm curious about what people do now to seek out, uh, what we're talking about the underground or the independent, independent is underground or, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, when I was 20-ish, then, you know, you would hear about something and you would pursue it and you'd find it often, right? Whereas now... Is it different that if you hear about, if you don't, if you hear about something or if you don't see it in front of you, you don't bother to even track it down because the fact is it's all there in front of you. So if it's not clearly in your field of view, it does not matter. Does that, does that have any relevance? Because it's available, right? You just go any time of day or night, you can go, oh yeah, I can go and literally watch you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's no urgency anymore. Well, I'm not sort of trying to kind of say it's better than or better now. It's just different. And I'm curious, like, what the impulse is to how 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 the underground or the avant-garde or the you know that part of culture is in a weird way uh, is, we, is, we, is 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 either found or it's dismissed or 
it's just something, a, a whole other equation I'm not even kind of aware of. Yeah, and in a weird way, not to sound, uh, not because of age necessarily, but in a weird way, we might not be the guys who know that anymore. We might have been really tapped in, but the underground changes all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm tapped in, but I'm probably not. Yeah, I don't think anybody's tapped in. You know, <laughs> I mean, they are and they aren't. They're tapped into something. You're always yeah. tapped into something. Yeah. I think what you're getting at is you could grow up in Scarborough. Mm. And you'd be so far removed from New York or L.A. Mm. that that's like a fantastic yeah, it's like a So artistic happenings can evolve inside this provincialized Petri dish. Yeah. If they're left alone long enough, interesting stuff happens, like The Clash happens, right. or like R.E.M. Right. in Georgia. Right. But now, because everything's so instantaneous and easily uh, accessed... It's very difficult to leave a small group of people alone on an island and let them incubate. Yeah, are things getting weirder or are things getting more the samey, you know? Mm. I guess that's what that does. I mean, on the other hand, I could say, well, if you're growing up in, you know, small town nowhere, you do have access to all the groovy things going on somewhat in uh, the big centers and that you can kind of take handpick what you sort of want it's made slightly different from the actual experience of being there but you can see clips of bands you can look at art you can do virtual tours you can do all this stuff and the question would be does that you know finding that kind of like-minded slipstream does that fuel your own little you know yellow submarine as you kind of you know rise to the surface in your small town armed with all this sort of you know international underground ammunition hmm. or is it even underground or is it even does that even have value anymore i think it's more like a it is like a river like a an under a subsurface river or a current of culture and you can you can you can be standing in it but not geographically and i think it happens through connections with people I think that's what it is. You you meet somebody, like I'm talking to this man, Daniel Fishlin, and uh, he's an amazing brain. Um, and the more time I spend with him, the more I'm like, he's a, he's a guy, I'm learning a lot from being around him. And it doesn't matter where he's located in the world, he happens to be in Guelph, which is fortunate, but... He's my thesis advisor. Oh, there you go. Um, I'm very smart. <laughs> that you are. That you are. Anyway, I think it is a current, uh, and you can tap it. You have to have your eyes open to recognize it when it's there. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe it's that personal connection. Maybe that's the difference between on and off, in a way, because no matter where you are and how much access do you have to that river, and we all now have access to the, sort of the river, it's the things that actually activate you and to kind of really change your life and really switch you on is a direct personal connection with somebody and that can change everything whereas watching something uh or reading about it in a magazine it's a little different it's it's, it's interesting and it and it's it kind of it's like a weather system you go okay that's good but when you actually engage with somebody sort of face to face that probably is the difference between uh you know red and white or black and white or well, something. this circles circles us back to this meeting at the bookshelf in guelph <laughs> and we took Absolutely, a circuitous yes. route so you you two met because you were bringing your film 
to Guelph, a relatively small town. You were, what were you, a big shot Toronto guy at that time? No, I was a, I was a nobody Toronto guy. Nobody Toronto guy. Yeah. Bringing but, your you know, getting, getting, getting there, climbing up the ladder. Right. So you meet Nick and then you, you, you study his work, I guess. Yeah. And then what happens next? How do you two decide you're going to work on something together? Well, I don't know. I can't remember who proposed it, but uh, I had uh, previous to, on Highway 61, we, there was an artist in Toronto named uh, Chris Minns, and Chris did a graphic novel adaptation of Highway 61, which I was sort of amazed at. And I Is think it all, a lot of it came from this experience of working with Ron on the comic book movie, because I realized how possible it was to do this. And at that time, how popular comics were. It was a kind of becoming a kind of a re-golden age of like independent comics in the 90s. Uh, and maybe it was in my head, maybe Nick had proposed it but i thought let's do uh dance me outside which was I the tell next you what it was it was uh we did an illustrated interview with you that's right which yeah. was a really neat and weird idea yeah. with michelle vrana right who's we oh that's right michelle yeah. vrana he had, for what outlet what you did an illustrated interview for what purpose called sputnik magazine oh which yeah was that's a, right yeah uh, an anthology of yeah. comics so michelle had this great idea to include an interview with someone but make it comics, and yeah. a comic strip interview of, of a person, which was very fascinating and fun to do. And I remember um, I had you walking around with a Polaroid camera like the devil in right, yeah, yeah. 61. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you would do that everywhere yeah. you would go. you bring a camera, not a Polaroid necessarily. Yeah, but had a little Instamatic, yeah. But, um, and so I guess I was in the back of your head, and then you're doing, you're prepping for Dance Me Outside and called and said, do you know anyone that would be good to add up because I was like one of the handful of cartoonists that you mm. knew personally a connection mm -hmm. and said do you know anyone would be good to do this and I sort of scratched my head for half an hour and said I would be good to do this mm. <laughs> I should do this mm. and you're like okay <laughs> let's yeah, go I did a masterful job I mean they're beautiful books uh so it's a fun, yeah, so it's a great thing. It's nice when you have a project that shimmers out into other mediums, whether it's music or, or, or film or a book or a graphic novel. Well, Hardcore Logo is super fascinating because it... Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a, it was a book by Michael Turner, right? Yeah, it was a book and a novel. That was its first incarnation, and then it became a movie. And then it became a graphic novel. And then it became a live stage show. And then it became a tribute album rec recording. And it became a, you know, uh, also, uh, also a recording of songs from the movie. 
Creative Commons. Yeah. All on yeah. its own. Yeah. So uh, I can't think of too many happenings that would cross so many platforms. Yeah. At yeah. the same time, because I will, I will say one of the things that drew me. I don't know if one of the, I don't know if it necessarily drew me to the film. As I said earlier, I was already a fan of your work and would take out your films from the library and, and all that stuff. But it, uh, I was a big Super Friends fan. Do you remember the band, the oh, Super yeah, Friends? Yeah, and they yeah. did a version yeah. of Blue Tattoo right. uh, in a video. Yeah. Did you make the video? No, it was some guys. Uh, didn't I just helped organize the uh, the concept of having a bunch of cool bands record yeah. versions of Parkour logo so songs. I, I was obsessed with the Super Friends, and and they remain one of my favorite bands. And uh, so I was I was like, oh, this is interesting that they wow. they would do a, a version of this song and. It was it was confu- it was sort of confusing. It got to the point, hardcore logo, where reality started to sure. and fiction started to blur together. Right? Yeah. People thought it was a real band, yeah. and and all sorts of yeah. weird things were happening. But uh, yeah, can you talk a little bit about the impact of this film? The fact that we're still talking about twenty years later. Oh, Do you think? Can I back you up a little? Yeah, sure, of can course. I ask you. I want to ask you. How did how did you discover? Turner's book in the first place. Well, like, I, I, that... I was at a barbecue. as a pretty girl that uh, invited me to this barbecue at her house, and uh-huh. uh, there was this guy there from Vancouver named Keith Porteous, who is a, a he's kind of a record guy, and he he knew I made movies, and he said, "Oh, I got this friend of mine in Vancouver. He's written this book, or is writing this book called Hardcore Logo. He might have even had a copy of it with him because he knew I was coming, and he knew I was a movie guy." And it's that, again, that kind of face-to-face connection that happens that uh, I never would have, maybe I would have come across it at some point. But because uh, Keith, um, I don't know, presented it to me in, in, in this nice way and was very, was from music and I felt like, oh, he's of the same tribe and I don't know, it all, and then I read it and I was like, wow, this is great and I've always loved music and I'm probably a bit of a frustrated band guy and i do you play music yeah you know a little bit guitar guitar yeah a little piano a little guitar drums no no i have a bongo i have a bongo drum you got a bongo drum okay <laughs> drums are fun it's a full yeah. body workout yeah 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 anyway yeah you're a frustrated musician yeah so level, you know yeah. and then i thought well this this would be good to make this seems like easy I'm always taking the easy route, and then it turns <laughs> you thought it was very easy. Good. Yeah, well, the book was very. You could read it in like three quarters of an hour, right? Well, the book was easy. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was like you know, phone answering, you know, very mm-hmm. short and poems. It was. It seemed very cinematic. It wasn't full of a lot of blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It was very archetypical. It was like about a band. You know, if we were back in the 15th century, it would be some kind of version of Commedia dell'arte, right? With mm-hmm. these kind of very iconic. Figures, you know, the bass player and the drummer and the singer and the guitar player. And in but, a way, in, in rock and roll music or popular music, there are archetypes of those people, and the book seemed to capture that very well. Well, it's interesting to me that you 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 were known as someone who made road films at mm. one point. Who, who and and part of what appeals to some people about those films is the the characters are kind of conveying a certain restlessness Mm -hmm. they need to be moving all the time then you have nick who has to make this static version of this traveling Mm -hmm. film do you both want to talk about that notion of time and space and movement and 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 how they relate both in terms of you know i i think some of your your characters tend to the the movies you make tend to be about these people who 
don't quite know what they're doing and are just moving forward in some way mm-hmm. or moving. I don't even want to say it's forward necessarily because mm-hmm. it's not always forward, right. but they're just constantly in motion to try to get somewhere yeah. in their lives. And then you had this responsibility of taking this, these ideas and trying to freeze them, which is an interesting thing to do to a, a, a motion, a film about motion, I suppose, on some level. Yeah, it's completely counterintuitive to take motion picture and turn it into static, I mean, silent static images. It's Well, I mean, on the one hand, you're doing a movie adaptation and making it into a book, so no matter what you do, you're doing that. But you are taking a film about traveling, about a journey, and doing it too. I kind of want to talk about journeys a little bit yeah. <laughs> and, and, and how they relate to your mindset about maybe how we relate to life even a little bit. It's a big question, but can you both speak to that? You're, I mean, again, Bruce, uh, I don't know if you feel like you've been dogged by this, t- this label. Of no, being- no, no, it's, it's good. I mean, people say there are just two kinds of stories. There's the visit of the mysterious stranger and there's the journey, right? And I've been attracted often to the journey uh, because... Uh, there's something in me that's always been attracted to those stories of when I was a kid, it was like Magellan and Vasco da Gama and all these guys that would go out into the oceans of the world and go and discover new lands. And I was, you know, as a little kid, I was fascinated by that and I was fascinated by people going to the moon and wanting to see this place. There's no real prize other than we got there. Uh, or what's out there. So I've always, it's always been in my DNA, I think. And uh, ever since I can remember, I've always been uh, fascinated with those faraway places and whether they're real or they're imaginary. Mm -hmm. So the idea of the road movie was a natural, I suppose, for me. And if you think of movies like, you know, like 2001 as a road movie and (laughs) That's you know, true. Apocalypse Now is a road movie, and Absolutely. you know, yeah. Huckleberry Finn is a road movie. So these journeys, so it's the journey, and uh, maybe it's you know comes from simply the idea that uh, uh, there's mystery in the journey. What are you going to find? There's you know you have a sense that you meet you know people along the way that you'll be somehow transformed by this journey. That maybe by putting yourself out there you know, on a personal level or on a kind of a project level where you're kind of putting yourself out there on this journey to do this project, you will be transformed and, the, and perhaps other things will be transformed. Now, is it, is it, is it silly to say that um, as a Canadian, you're engaging in your landscape in a way that is uniquely Canadian? Well, I mean, it probably is not... A stretch to say that because we live in a land where it, to get from here to there it takes forever mm-hmm. right we do a lot of traveling I don't know I mean I guess everybody does a lot of traveling but you know especially in a hardcore logo sense to get from you know Vancouver to Calgary is like yeah. a day it right? means something not two hours where you get from Munich to mm-hmm. Paris or something right it's like oh that's four hours or something or, mm-hmm. or with four places in between to play yeah um, but yeah Canada has always had that sense of mystery about it we sort of line up along the border and we've got a lot of people in front of us but to our backs is this great vast dark mysterious unknowable uh forest of weirdness you know and so we're kind of on the edge of between civilization and and uh ancient weird 
God knows what's in there mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff, you know, and we're those kind of people that I think can operate in both those worlds fairly well. We can be civilized people, but we there's a kind of wildness and all the people here are from somewhere else. They've come here as travelers or as uh, seekers or something like that from other lands. So it's an interesting place. We, we live in a country that is... Uh has an infrastructure for arts on some level and a, a funding infrastructure that really emphasizes, um, I guess, spreading the word about Canada, reflecting Canada in mm-hmm. work. Is it important for, I mean, beyond grants, beyond... Uh, well, that's Bruce's new film, Weirdos, is, is fueled, largely the soundtrack is fueled by that 1967 summer of Canadian content, right? Yeah, 60, 76. Sorry, actually, 76, yeah. I should say. Yeah. There, wasn't that a mandate to... Well, in the happened? 70s. What was going on where American culture was... Well, in the, the 70s... Uh, You're talking about CanCon now. CanCon. Yeah. Yeah, on the radio that was, you know, normal to hear no Canadian music because it was, you know, it was just popular music. So you had lots of great popular music from Britain and America. And then at some point, I guess, through pressure from musicians unions or somebody that said hey we're musicians and how come we can't get our fucking Mm -hmm. song on the radio and uh after some politicking and things somebody managed to convince the government to say you know what in order to kind of get a sense that we too are have musicians (laughs) canada also has a kind of something to contribute to these radio this radio and this media culture they have to, they'll be forced to play, I think, 40% Canadian content. Maybe 30, not even 30%, that, 30%, 30%. Yeah, 30. Like, they have to play it. Whereas before that, it might have been, you know, 2%. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, in 19, it was the early 70s, and so suddenly there was a, you know, I mean, a, an echo that you're still feeling today, this renaissance where suddenly... People were hearing, you know, their hometown band, the Stampeders, or mm-hmm. they were hearing this, and they were like, pretty good songs. Mm-hmm. And they were just part of the general pop culture thing. I mean, this, I'm sure the Stampeders were riffing on, you know, American bands and British bands and mm-hmm. old blues bands and that sort of thing. So, but with a particular, you know, Albertan flavor or yeah. a particular yeah. something or other. And uh, so suddenly by, you know, the mid late 70s, there was like, there was something to talk about. And I mean, like, uh, what I was getting at is that some of that is mandated, right? Uh, by By these arts infrastructures and and uh and a demand of, on some level for canadian content among canadians but is that important to you too to reflect the country in your work uh, well, for me like i'm just uh, all i'll say is like i have consciously avoided that <laughs> i, I kind of want to i feel like it's important i represent this country and i and i have a perspective on this country but i like to talk to people from all over the place i would hate to be forced mm. to only speak to Canadian artists or, or only reflect Canadian issues. But, but that, but at the same time, I noticed that, so in, in some level, a show like this one is more popular around the world than it might be even in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of who I've chosen to have on. It's fascinating to me that Canadians are, are more, and I, when I worked at CBC, that was often the case too. Like I'd be, ha- I'd have Thurston Moore on and that wouldn't do as well, <laughs> you know, in terms of web traffic or whatever, as some small band from Saskatoon. Is what you're asking, has CanCon regulation 
uh, stifled. Is that what you're well, saying? That's a bigger picture thing. I don't necessarily want to go down that road on a on a legislative level or anything like that. I just mean for you too personally. Bruce has made many films that reflect. You mentioned the Canadian landscape. Hardcore Logo is literally a film about people traveling across. Well, they don't quite make it, but they travel across Canada, uh, and uh, and that's a that's that's a gesture. That's like look at this country. Look at the expanse. These guys with all their tension and all their problems are going to not only deal with themselves. They're going to deal with this landscape, and that's important. I could show a. It showed Canada to a lot more people than maybe mm-hmm. would have seen it before. I'm just curious if that's an impulse for either of you well, I, to reflect you know, Canada. I think you reflect where you are. I mean, if you're Jack Kerouac, you're not necessarily thinking, I'm going to show off America. I'm going to try to do an American thing. I'm going to, that's not the first agenda. He's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm writing about my experience. I'm writing about where I'm going. I'm going to Denver. I'm going to meet Neil Cassidy. I'm going to, have adventures and and it becomes one of the great American classics. But the impulse didn't start with him going, I would like to do something mm-hmm. for America, you know. Whereas uh, you know, living here, uh, I do feel that, um, especially as you do more and more, I do feel that I f- I feel like I sh- as a guy with the powers of being an artist and the privilege of what what that is that I feel like, well okay, I have lots of choices of what to do. I could do sci-fi things. I could do this. And part of me thinks like, well, you know, uh, I think part of my maybe obligation, if that's a word, is to reflect, you know, where you are. Like I like often shooting uh, here now and again, shooting stuff in Toronto and go, you know, this is the city I live in. And if I lived in Cincinnati or New Orleans, it would probably be that city. But it's not that I'm drawn to Toronto because Toronto's so cooler than San Francisco or, or Madrid. It's just, no, I live here and I, I can see how the light changes on that building. There's a lot of information that I have that I would like to sort of show how beautiful that is. And it's, and the fact that I live here is sort of an accident. And the fact that the, there are some cultural agencies that have supported me, that's all good too. Cause I probably, I would have done it somehow maybe not with the same the same kind of movies or something but i uh couldn't have done it without some telefilm or mm-hmm. ontario arts council or canada council that that this country supports their artists so uh they're not really telling you what to do other than like hey you're canadian and you we love it when you go out into the world and show your films right. in istanbul and shanghai and madrid and london and but how do you like it, it seems difficult to examine yourself and and say identify what parts of you are can, Canadian uniquely Canadian I think it's hard to know yourself in that way without living a breadth without seeing the world and everyone knows that to know your own country you need to leave it and see the contrasts of of color that that are there so I I don't I know that I'm completely informed by my by my Canadianness, but I couldn't tell you how. I don't know how. I just finished working on this great long 200-page children's book fully illustrated about hockey. And I know that when people see the when it hits the world, 
I'm making this impression on children about what hockey is. And I'm trying to see it through their eyes. And I know, even though I can't tell you how, I know that that work is Canadian. It's Can- it's totally Yeah, it's not, you're not making it about cricket well, or, not, or water polo, not just you know? That. It's not just that it's because it's hockey. It's because it's my experience of hockey as a child in the, in the 60s and well, 70s. And that what that means, Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that sort of weird blue glow, 1970s. My, because I don't know anything about hockey. I don't know anything about the rules of hockey, but I know how visually how it strikes me. So I'm projecting all this, funneling all this crap into this work for kids who are like four to eight years old. Um, and I know that it will be perceived as Canadian. And it is, I guess. There's a connotation with that sport and sure. our country. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, we've, I, I appreciate this conversation, and I want to bring it back uh, to sort of s- summarize it on some level by <laughs> at least bringing us back to Hardcore Logo, because it is the 20th anniversary of this thing. Yeah. I think we've weaved in and out of what this film is saying uh, throughout this conversation, but can either of you, or both of you rather, speak to why you think we're still talking about this thing 20 years since... Nick's book since the film uh, came out in 95, I believe. Do you think this story is still relevant? Uh, It's about a band. We live in a really weird musical landscape now. Mm. It's about tension. It's about identity. It's about rejection. It's about, uh, you know, uh, aspiring for success on some level. It's about all sorts of... It's about lying. It's about Mm. lots of different things. Is there... May I? Mm. Um, I think the base culture of a thing can be found in its smallest parts. Like, a, what do you call that when you make a soup? or a, Like the sauce a or the base. When you make a dough and the culture in the fridge, you leave it in the... Yeah. And the dough stays there. You take the culture and you put it in. You can make more culture. Anyway. Right. So the source material for that work, all the details are so left out. It's so loose and open for yourself to walk in and say, oh, I can do something with this. And and you build this thing, this amazing film. And then the next guy looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, I can do something with this. So in other words, there's no ceiling on it. Most narrative, most crappy narrative puts a a ceiling on on the viewer and says, here's how I want you to feel. Mm. Here's the Disney score is going to tell you what you're supposed to take out of this moment. And, and it sort of boxes you in and tells you how to feel. So that ceiling um, stops you from internalizing and having your own experience of the narrative, right? But the source material of Hardcore Logo is so without a ceiling that, I mean, you can take it and say, okay, well, it was an acoustic reunion, but I'm going to throw that out. And let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's make it a little angrier. Let's get Hugh Dillon. Let's electrify it and uh and 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 let's introduce the the character of the filmmaker Mm -hmm. who's participating Mm -hmm. in fate Mm -hmm. yeah i think that you're right on this sort of part of its appeal is the sort of no ceiling on it but it's because of those archetypes and i think the movie in particular in the book and the graphic novel the thing for me that struck me and still strikes me is that this is a story about friendship this is a story about uh, two people having to part ways, you know, and who are the deepest of friends in a very complicated way. It's about, so you could say it's about a marriage that breaks up. It's about a friendship that breaks up. It's about, you know, 
it's that the pain of having to reckon with that sort of like you know that union is suddenly uh, for all kinds of reasons has to has to go its own way and i think that touches a lot of people where everybody has had that experience everybody's afraid of that experience everybody craves that friendship that kind of like that's that special person in my life yeah, yeah. and uh that's i think the movie having more familiarity with that that's what i get from that and that's what i get from the idea of being in a band that is this kind of band of brothers or band of sisters or whatever the band is, but it's that kind of feeling, getting back to that touchstone of like, oh yeah, the creativity and things happening comes as a result of people meeting in person and, and being together. And that's where things happen. And, uh, so that, yeah, so it's, to me it's about... Some of those things are never going to go out of fashion or, yeah. or things we're not going to talk about. But one of the things I do want to talk about structurally is the mediated reality of the film of the book mm. uh you know you put this out in 95 uh these days we talk about mockumentaries a lot more than we used to i feel like i mean i don't even know where i couldn't you know i can talk about spinal tap i can talk about the larry sanders show i can talk about all sorts of things that really tried to take real even seinfeld on some level was based mm. on real people but they fictionalized mm. it and the more you learned about the show I'm talking about 90s thing. there was a the point in the 90s where I feel like we were really grappling with what was real and what was fake and that turned into reality television very shortly thereafter mm -hmm. and on some level this film you have a guy keeping a diary uh, or the story rather you have a, a bandmate uh, one of the band members is keeping a diary of, of what's going on in the road and that's his perception of reality you have the structure of the film where people are talking to the camera and trying to explain what they think is going on, but it's all fake. It's real, but it's fake. Yeah. And I think that on some level, you were potentially ahead of both of you in terms of this structure. We're a little ahead of your time, maybe? Like, do you feel that? Because this is very common now. Lots of sitcoms adopt this, like, I'm just going to talk, the character suddenly is talking to us. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, oh, it's a, it's uh, this is real but it's not I, i'm just well, i guess my 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 touchstone in that world which i still find endlessly fascinating because it's about making fake things real which is just the job of the storyteller exactly yeah right so my this you know i remember in, being in film school and seeing this film called david holtzman's diary which was made probably in the late 60s in new york by a guy named jim mcbride and it was about a guy this is at the height of the cinema verite craze where people were taking sort of portable 60 millimeter motion picture cameras and making documentaries about you know political elections and about you know institutions and everybody was like wow this is kind of amazing right it's they're documentaries that's really happening these aren't actors because mm. that wasn't had never really been seen much in film before before that film was like actors in hollywood and all this stuff so i remember watching this film which is a half hour film it's about a guy saying hey I, I, you know i'm trying to get my life together and i think if i put it on film uh you know i'll get to understand where i'm at man you know and uh so he's shooting his girlfriend and shooting where he lives and you know, he one day gets a new lens for his camera and he's filming people in Central Park. And anyway, this goes on and you're like, wow, this is great. This is total verite, total, yeah, yeah. total kind of self uh, uh, analysis. And then the last scene of the movie, it go, you know, it fades to black and then the scene comes up and it's his face in these photo booth pictures. And it's just like, well, I would love to be able to 
film myself, but my my loft got broken into, and all my gear, my Aeroflex and my Niagara got ripped off by some junkies. And my last message to you, that's all I have. I've got a couple of quarters in the in the kind of recording machine and a thing. <laughs> and I just want to thank you for, you know, going on this journey with me. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going, wow, it's so amazing. What a incredible way that this perfect ending. And then the credits come up and it's written by, performed by, and I'm realizing, oh my God, <laughs> this is a complete fabrication. It blew my mind. And I've never forgotten that, you know. And then, you know, along the way, other films and the ones you've mentioned that yeah. I also were was drawn to because there's that kind of, there's that magician's sleight of hand where you're as the audience you're totally there you're totally believing this yeah it's really messing with our relationship with authenticity mm-hmm. and i find that fascinating i think that's one of the reasons that i, I say it's ahead of its time but i think it's resonant like mm-hmm. that's something we still are just grappling with what is real what is mm-hmm. fake what is true what is a lie and uh and i find that that's really this this project, if you will, hmm. this this film, this book, it's really steeped in that confusion. Yeah, well, hopefully, I don't know, uh, you know, what we can do to illuminate the uh, the facts and the truth, but maybe <laughs> just by pointing out the kind of house of mirrors that you can get into quite easily, you know, it gives you a healthy respect for, you know, you know, all that's going on in the bigger picture of the media, of the fake news and all this sort of, uh, uh, you know, the media landscape where, you know, just watch it with a little bit of extra, extra, like, how do they construct that? What are they telling you? How, you know, it's like trust, uh, what's the, you know, question authority, question, and media right now is the authority, right? Or is the big authority. So maybe films like this or, or projects like this kind of help, to at least examine the kind of the little house of mirrors so in a fun way and then you're like well if that's the case maybe we should just be a bit more aware when we take things as gospel that we see you know yeah totally in the newspaper on tv yeah well what's next for hardcore logo what's next for each of you do you want to talk about your future plans and and uh, what's going on with uh, this uh, celebration for this particular project uh, well, we've got uh, a screening of, a digital screening of Hardcore Logo, uh, May the 17th at the Bookshelf Cinema, uh, followed by at 6.45, and then a 9.15 screening of Weirdos, Bruce's new film. Um, in between, there'll be chit-chat and a special surprise that I've prepared for uh, for the evening, which I will not tell you about. Wow. <laughs> oh, special surprise. <laughs> I like news that. For, news for Bruce. Yeah. A little, tiny little surprise. Yeah. Um, and then um, signing books, selling books, lots of books, hopefully. And uh, that's, yeah, so that's happening. And then TCAF is happening on the 12th, 13th, the 13th and 14th at the Toronto Reference Library. And House of Anansi, who's the publisher, has a table there, and I'll be there signing books. And What's TCAF? Toronto Comic Art Festival. It's a, a big deal in Toronto, and they're expecting about fifteen to 20,000 people coming through. To wow, that's nerd, great. To yeah. nerd it out. Yeah. But it's it's like a comic. So will you see Chester Brown there, Chester's, you think? Chester's work will be there. Yeah. His new Mary book will be there. He'll yeah, be there. Yeah, right, yes. Um, 
yeah, there's several. Do you know Seth? Have you ever worked with Seth? I've never worked with him? him. He lives in Guelph now, yeah, though, yeah. and uh, we see each other the time yeah, yeah, yeah. at the barbershop. Or whatever. You know, he has the greatest card, you know, the business card, and I met him once for the first time, and he gave me his card, and on it says, pleased to make your acquaintance, <laughs> and the back is his name. But I just thought yeah, that was very really nice. classy. Yeah, he is classy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, so that's that. So that's yeah. that. And then uh, Toronto, uh, the Royal Cinema is screening mm-hmm. the 35 millimeter print from your own personal collection mm-hmm. on the 24th mm-hmm. at 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Lynn Crosby is coming to speak. Oh, great. Yeah, the publisher set the that cross. up. The Cross. And the, uh, <laughs> the uh, publisher's selling books there. I'll be... I'll be heading out of town on the 19th, so I, unfortunately... I'll be impersonating Nick Crane at oh, the nice. screening. Yes, great. I'll be signing excellent. the books. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. That's good, <laughs> that's good. Okay, that's great. So that's Hardcore Logo stuff. Where can people find out more about the uh, book? House of Anansi. Dot com? Yeah, uh, dot CA, I believe. And, and Nick, what's your, new, what's your new book going to be? And you talked about uh, this, well, hockey this hockey book coming book out. comes yeah? out in October okay. the 17th, and I'm going to do some signings at hockey games. Nice. This is going to be fun. Yeah. And like NHL games? Maybe. Uh, probably, I don't know. OHL for sure. But I'm just so, I'm so pleased to be speaking directly to kids. There's, it's drawing for kids. It's like... They don't have any of the crap, right? It's straight to the back of the head. The the, the lizard brain responds to the images immediately. I, I should turn you on to this series we made in Montreal called The Tournament, which is all about sort of hockey parents and oh, and kids. Yeah. It's not much about the kids. It's really about the hockey parents. <laughs> and it's very entertaining. Okay. So I'll try to get you a link to that. All right. You'll find Thanks. it very funny. What's your hockey book called, Nick? It's called Five Minute Hockey Stories, available from HarperCollins Canada. Very nice. All right. That's great. I'm off to Europe. I'm doing some research for a, a, a long-standing project I've been uh, chewing on for a decade or so about William Shakespeare. So I'm going to the source. You're going to Europe to research William Shakespeare? Correct. Going to London, going to Stratford, going back to London. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very excited. Yeah, he was big. He was important. He was Shakespeare. Big. Yeah, people talk about him. <laughs> Bruce, what about you? Do you have... <laughs> do you have uh, <laughs> plans that you can share at this point? Oh gosh, well, you know, we just shot this one-man show by uh, Torquil Campbell, who's a fantastic actor and singer of stars called True Crime, so that was sort of fun, more of a document of a great, great, great show. Uh, We're editing a movie now called A Love Supreme, which is a kind of a jazz romance all done in, it's more of an art piece than a movie, it's Mm -hmm. more of an art installation piece, it's kind of groovy. and then we're working up to a little crime movie, a uh, little surrealistic crime movie in the fall called Dreamland, um, written by Tony Burgess, starring Steve McCaddy. And uh, yeah, so you know. You got a lot on the go. You know, cooking up stuff. You got you to gotta do stuff. All right. No, yeah. this is good. I appreciate this time. Uh, normally at this point in the program, I will ask uh, my guests who are often musicians to pick a song oh my gosh. that we can go out on. And, and, you know, we're talking about a hardcore logo. It's a musical thing. Is there something we can go out on? And I know that the book comes with a, a seven inch, which uh, Nick gave me, which was very kind of you. Uh, is there something we can play? I don't know if we can play something from the seven inch necessarily, but is there something? What do you want to do? I don't know if it's possible to play something from the seven inch. That's, that's up to you, I guess. Is it digitally available? Um, maybe in the ebook, I think. Can you get me a copy? I'll try and get you. I'll try and get you. Yeah. Try Never Done. Never Done. What is this? It's a fictitious, again, All right. s- song uh, about, by Bucky Haight. 
Bucky Hill, one of the characters, okay. one of the main muses of Hardcore Logo. Yeah. Yeah, circa 1977. And the song is called? Never Done. Never Done, and why, why is it called Never Done? Well, it's because that's the chorus, but it's actually called that because this project is never done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. To go like this. There'll be more. It's like There'll a, be it's logo. Like a, more logo to come. It's like a, an asteroid hole. So, 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 so Bucky Hate was a fictional character. This is one of his songs. Who's performing it? Uh, myself. In what year? And Tristan O'Malley and Pat Mooney from the Battered Wives. Uh, 20 years ago, I recorded this. 1996 or 5. It's 2017, Nick. I'm just looking at my watch. So you know somebody's working. Ago. Somebody's working on a TV series of like young Harker logo touring America. Did you know no that? No. Yes. What? Yeah. Who's doing that? A company in London actually called Unigram. In in, in Ontario. No, no, in London, in England. London, England. Yes. Get out. So, so this hardcore logo thing is just like a. I know it's a, a juggernaut. I wish I was getting big checks from everything, but anyway, it's all great. Can I pick a song too? Well, I mean... Oh, no, we got one. We, we normally pick do one. one. Do you want to pick okay, one? Okay, no, 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 just we'll, the one. That's perfect. Okay. Young Bucky. Sorry, Bruce. I didn't okay. mean to cut you okay, off. Okay, next there. time. Next Are we going to do this again? We can uh, do something. Did you, did you have fun? It was great. Okay, yeah, we yeah. should do it again. Yeah, we can totally do it again. Yeah. All right. Nick, uh, Bruce, this was really a pleasure. Thank you for being on this program and talking to me, and uh, I hope we can talk again, like Bruce says. That's Thanks, awesome. Bruce. Yeah, thank well you done. very much. Yeah, well done. Never Done by Bucky Hate, which, as you heard, isn't exactly real. Thanks to Nick Crane and Bruce McDonald for being on the show to talk about Hardcore Logo and lots of other stuff, too. I enjoyed that one a lot, and uh, I, I'm, I hope I get to talk to Bruce and Nick sometime soon when we're all feeling better, because clearly one of us has a sore throat. This is the 319th episode of Creative Control with Vishkana. A podcast which is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. iTunes, Audio Boom, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast. Everywhere. YouTube. It's in lots of places. You can learn more about the show at vishkana.com. 
Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative. You can like us on Facebook, which is just the show name. You can find us there and like us and tell your friends to like us. And you can listen to our version of this show every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or if you're in the area at CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. That's 93.3 FM in Guelph on your radio dial. This episode would not be possible without our sponsors, the finest pizzeria in Guelph, Pizza Trocadero. Call them for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444 or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca. Also, The Bookshelf, an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, movie theater, and restaurant located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Learn more about them at bookshelf.ca. And for the finest coffee anywhere, try Planet Bean, freshly roasted, fair trade, certified organic coffee. They have three locations in Guelph, but they also distribute their coffee beans throughout Ontario and possibly even beyond. If you want to get their coffee and serve it up at your store, wherever you're listening, visit planetbeancoffee.com for more info. All right, like I say, I'm a little under the weather, so I'm going to cut this uh, short and say thank you for listening. Please keep listening. Review, rate, subscribe, download episodes of the show. Do everything you can, and I'll do what I can. And we'll just all keep doing stuff. Okay? Thank you very much. Goodbye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 